welcome to more of a comment than a question. I'm Rachel Hartman, as usual. And with me is Paul Connor, my friend and co-host. And I have gotten some feedback from Twitter that my attempts at making jokes do not succeed. And so that is all that I will say for now. How are you doing, Paul? <laughs> I'm doing great. Um, look, Twitter's not representative. Uh, it was just one person who said that they literally couldn't they, get through they our introduction because it was my, too awkward. They crushed and, you know, my spirit back, forever. Listening back, I can hear it. I can hear it. We're definitely not as smooth as um, bigger, more polished podcasts. I was even listening to Two Psychologists, Four Beers the other day and listening to uh, Yoel introduce the pod, and I'm like, damn, that was really smooth. Yeah. I think our problem is that we, like, are trying too hard. Like, right. I mean, I don't know. I, I would probably, yeah, <laughs> not true. We're not trying hard enough <laughs> in some aspects, but my sense is it might be the opposite. But um, yeah, it might be. But I don't know. I mean, no. I I think what it really is is like we just don't have that dynamic of like like the like what you're going for is Katie Herzog, Justy mm. Single kind of like mm. you know uh, putting each other down in a whimsical way, but like. I feel like we're just like, we're not like that. And that's fine. Yeah. You respect me too much is what you're saying. And and you respect me too much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, sure. Anyway. Um, so how have you been? How's everything? Um, it's, I don't know, not great. It's okay. <laughs> but like, I um, I have my dissertation proposal next Wednesday. And so I was working on like writing the actual document um, pretty intensely. And so I submitted that to my committee this Wednesday. So they'd have like a week to read it over. Although everyone says Mm -hmm. they're just going to read it the day before. So I don't really understand why I had to send it early, but (laughs) whatever. Um, And then I did my like practice proposal presentation in lab meeting today. Um, Okay. And so I had to like put together a PowerPoint for that and practice it and present it. And I got all these like comments and questions and feedback, which is good because, you know, it'll help me improve, mm. but mm. also just kind of made me feel like this is all, I'm not, this is not good. <laughs> the dissertation is so, not good? Yeah. And, you know, huh. everything. So science. I'm sure, I, I'm sure it is good and you're worrying for nothing. And I mean, it's very hard to f- fail and not get a PhD in a social psych program. I've only I ever know, heard of yeah. <laughs> one person, <laughs> one person getting uh, flunked out. Um, so I doubt you're going to be number two that I've ever I, heard of. Yeah, so no, I, think, I do think I'll pass. It's just a question of how much I'll suffer along the way, and like I'm interested. You have to do a presentation. It's interesting to me all the idiosyncratic methods for giving people social psych PhDs. Like I didn't have to do a presentation um ever for my dissertation. Ever? Not even for your defense? No, there's at Berkeley there's no defense. Like literally the proposal was like a draft of and sort of an unfinished draft, maybe with an extra proposed study that the committee just looks over and gives feedback on and then you incorporate the feedback and then they say fine. Um, and then the actual dissertation was just like, yeah, a big paper. Uh, and then your committee looks it over and then they say, fine, there's no like defense or anything like that. Uh, it oh, was, I'm so jealous. It was easy. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, 
let's uh let's move on so what what uh actually it's been i feel like it's been kind of an interesting week in uh at least on twitter on academic twitter there's been a few interesting things that that we've seen um what would you what do you think we should start with well um i'll just say i have not been on twitter very much because i was you know busy with my dissertation stuff so I caught a little bit of, of snippets of stuff, but some of it was just after you shared it with me. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that amused me the most, I guess, that we can start with is the Tim Gill stuff. Tim, <laughs> that, that's not his name, is it? Tim Gill? Is, yeah. Is that right? Okay. Yeah, I, always, yeah, yeah, I always have this like paranoia after I say someone's name that I'm just butchering it, saying it wrong, like that I missed, maybe it's McGill, I don't know. Okay. Yeah, Tim no, Gill. Timothy M. Gill. So he's an assistant professor in the Department of Sociology at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. Um, and people who aren't on Twitter are going to have to bear with us <laughs> for this discussion because if you're not if you're not on academic Twitter, you probably have no idea uh, who this guy is. So, how would you describe Tim Gill, Tim, and okay. his Twitter presence? <laughs> So I came across him maybe like six months ago, like, you know, fairly recently. Um, And then I saw his tweets first before, like, trying to see who this person was. And I was like, oh, it's a parody account. Like, this is just, this is like a fake person who's Mm. making jokes uh, sort of at the expense of academia. Mm. And then I Googled him or like clicked on the link or something. It's like, oh, this person is actually real. (laughs) Like it's a real person. And so I think that is part of the problem is that he's like, you know, an actual professor. um, Mm. But he's most of his tweets or like, I don't know what percentage, but like a large portion of them are uh, satire and parody. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think that's true. Like it's a, there's not many accounts that do what he does and that, that provokes confusion in people. So I, I think I remember when the phenomenon of Tim Gill started. Um, and I, I want to say that it was this tweet. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to read this tweet. So just keep in mind, this guy, he's an assistant professor of sociology He's, he's got like 150 citations. His H index is like six, six or something. You know, he's a, he's an early career researcher, like a lot, like a lot like you and me. Um, but this was, this was what he tweeted back in December, 2021. As a grad student, I read each assigned reading twice before each class discussion. This often meant reading a 300 page book twice within a week. If you're not prepared to do this and more, I wouldn't pursue grad school, let alone academia. <laughs> and so so it's it's obviously a a joke like he's 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 just sort of decided to put this out there as kind of like a caricature of this self-important academic blowhard uh sort of making unreasonable demands on other people's time and kind of looking down their nose at people who aren't, aren't willing to um read a 300 page book twice within a week. <laughs> so that, but the fascinating thing was like, 
a lot of people at the time didn't immediately see this as being a joke. Like if you if you go through the quote tweets of this, uh, no, no, Twitter's not showing them to me. Come on. Anyway, I just remember at the time, like a lot of people did know it was a joke and were sort of playing along and stuff like that. But a lot of a lot of people didn't, and they sort of started to get like upset and 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 say well like this is this is evidence of like the toxic culture of overwork culture of academia this is absurd and then i mean a lot of like a lot of like professors were also just like that's not true i never did the readings and i've been successful <laughs> right <laughs> like yeah okay um which was probably like the most common reaction i remember like one researcher i follow samantha joel was like hey everybody i'm pretty sure he's joking like yeah. it's so obvious like nobody reads a 300 page <laughs> book twice in a week but this tweet i mean it has like one almost 2000 quote tweets which for some reason wow. i can't view now on twitter uh 2300 likes so the ratio is not great there for old timmy but um yeah this is kind of what he does but he also mixes it in with tweets where you get the sense that he kind of does mean what he says and it's you're never really sure and it's it's because it, it's not he doesn't make it obvious and it's not 100% satire i think people really don't really know how to deal with it so like the latest example which sort of led to a kind of an anti tim gill backlash which then led to another backlash against <laughs> against the backlash which we can get into was um about grad students working on sundays so let me let me just read this okay so let says, me just say before you read it like he posts something like this like every sunday pretty much like this is not like if you know just to put this in context like i i'll open twitter twitter like every once in a while on a sunday and like oh there's a tim gill tweet about how i should be working right now but yeah go ahead <laughs> yeah no like that's a good point because even people who like tim gill and enjoy his humor like often end up blocking him because it's just a lot. And if He's you engage... He's posted 75,000 tweets. <laughs> if you, yeah, if you engage with his tweets or you, like, like them or respond and stuff like that, I swear, like, which I have, um, as full disclosure, I kind of get a kick out of the guy. Um your, your Twitter feed becomes, like, 50% Tim Gill. Like, he's, <laughs> it's absolutely incessant. I don't know how he gets any work done. He's got this sort of, um, he, I think he also does stand-up comedy because he sometimes posts about that. Um, and he posts an awful lot about pro wrestling and drinking beer. So he's got this whole thing about slamming beers. You have to slam beers. You don't, you can't sip on beers. And, you know, like other people, other people sort of play along and they're like, hey, Tim, look at my beer that I'm slamming. And then he, he'll almost... almost he almost always responds to every single person like tweet today. Like he's just, I don't know. He he's a little crazy, but it's kind of enjoyable. But let me just read this. Okay, so this was yeah. the more recent one. So he posted this on August 21st of this year. When I was a grad student, I used my Sundays to the fullest. I cleared my agenda and wrote all day long. Others picked blueberries and hiked. I avoided all that. I knew better. Guess who published more? 
guess who finished their PhD on time? Guess who has a thriving career? So, so <laughs> I honestly, so this this got a huge reaction. Um, maybe even more so than his original tweet because I think maybe he just has more reach now. But I I'm constantly surprised at how many people there are just still on academic Twitter who seem to not know him or like this is their first exposure to him. And so this got like a huge amount of engagement and all sorts of people pushing back in a really serious way uh, saying like, this isn't true. You have to have work-life balance. Um, You know, a lot of people doing that same thing of like, oh, I have been successful and I, I didn't do any of that and stuff like that. And like a lot of people just not realizing uh, that he's been, that he was joking and just getting caught up in his troll act. And I, when I see this, I'm like, why, where have you been? Like, have, like, cause to me, like he's just been like ever present on Twitter for almost a year. Uh, and like you said, posting just the same kind of stuff again and again and again. And he just played like anytime somebody thinks he's being serious, he just starts debating them on Twitter as if he is totally being serious. Mm, yeah. Like he'll just say to somebody like, oh, well, you know, um, I looked at your CV and you're obviously not a serious scholar anyway. So like you're not the right <laughs> person to be offering, <laughs> offering advice to grad students or something like that. Or just like, you know, you might be happy being a second rate scholar, but you know, those of us who know, we, we, we know the yeah. truth like that. And the thing about Tim Gill's tweets is that I actually kind of like, I agree with most of what he's, <laughs> even though it's satire, like, like you do have to, like, you know, if you're going to be successful in academia, you do have to be working weekends. Not everyone wants to be doing that. And that's fine. Not everyone has to be successful, but like, mm. you know, I look at the people who are successful and they don't have work-life balance and that's fine for them. But like, yeah, you should be realistic anyway. This- <laughs> well, I, yeah, I, that's something that I kind of wanted to talk about um, because yeah, I do think this tweet in particular and the reaction to it was quite interesting um, because there's like the sort of acceptable consensus view is that like, not only that, like, this is talk, this is kind of a toxic culture that forces people to overwork and it's bad for your mental health, which, like, I might agree with. Um, but also that, like, well, this is not true. Like, you can, you can have, like, take, take your weekends to yourself. Um, and there'll be no sort of professional cost. Like, it won't, uh, it won't affect the success you have in academia. And, I don't know. Like, it's weird to me because like, it definitely seems unavoidably true that if somebody did set aside their Sunday to just write incessantly, that probably would help them have academic success. And some people do do that. Yeah. Like you said, like, you know, like a lot of successful people who don't have very good work-life balance, they're just sort of like, uh, in their work I mean we and I heard such conflicting things from professors in my because I think like most professors are in this situation where like 
often often it's a little bit hypocritical in the sense that they themselves don't have amazing work-life balance and worked really, really hard in grad school to get where they are. But then they sort of have to toe this party line, which is that like, oh no, there's no, there's no meritocracy in this system. Success is random. Um, you should, you should, you should definitely have work-life balance and take your weekends for yourself. And I just, I remember like, um, really respecting uh professors who were a bit more honest about it than that like i we had this sort of seminars from uh professors in our department at berkeley uh and we often asked them how much they worked and like so many of them were so cagey and vague in their responses and they it was like they didn't they didn't want to tell us but i mean from my point of view as an early grad student i just want the truth like i want to know what it took for them to be successful and what it might take. So, but I remember like Oz Aiduk, who's a professor at Berkeley was really honest about, she said like, yeah, like in, I think she said something like in grad school, we never took days off. Uh, That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. She's like, we never took days off and we, we worked like 10 hour days and stuff like that. And that's, you know, and she didn't say that's what you have to do, but she, at least she was honest about, yeah, that's, that's what I did, you know? Yeah. And now she's, you know, a tenured professor at Berkeley and it's, it's worked out for her, but yeah, I, I mean, this was, this has been a theme of this podcast. I think I even talked about this in our first ever episode, which is just that like, I don't know, everybody wants to pretend that they, they think there's, there's no meritocracy in academia that hard work doesn't like help you at all but like that just can't be true and all the evidence i've seen yeah well i think like what they're trying to say what they actually mean Mm -hmm. is that hard work is necessary but not sufficient like in order to you know be successful everyone has to do hard work but there's a large portion of people who do hard work who still aren't going to be successful because there is randomness there right like there is some you know um you know as evaluating these grants for cloud research helping Mm. the committee with that and like there's so many good grants right and like we're just sort of assigning these trigger uh, warning trigger warning (laughs) i know this is a sore subject for paul but uh (laughs) yeah like you know like there's sort of there was she rejected my grant application everybody just yeah yeah uh in case you weren't following uh (laughs) but yeah so we got like you know a hundred something applications there some of them were clearly just not very good like people didn't put in the effort or they just you know weren't there but like a large you know a large portion of them were really good and you could tell that people are doing you know amazing work they're working hard they're smart then what like and then how you how do you decide so you know, it wasn't like completely random, but there's definitely, yeah. Mm. Um, oh yeah, totally, totally. No, nobody thinks there's a perfect correlation between you know talent, hard work, success. Yeah, but I think people are taking it too far and just work, saying, right? like, people are just saying, yeah, no, there's no, no merit to hard work. There's no point in, um, but yeah, yeah so, yeah. and nobody, like, if you honestly did believe that why would it bother you if that a professor's saying that they work with, I guess, so that I think like a lot of people were like, no, this is a harmful message to grad students. Right. Um, but 
I don't know about that. I, I don't even know about that. Right. Like, so like I was saying, like as a grad student, I kind of liked the professors who were just frank and honest about like, I mean, because I mean, we touch on this theme a lot in this podcast too, that like grad students are treated like these babies that like you must be protected at all costs. But like, if you enter this field, like you're aware that it's super competitive, right? And that you are aware that like you're competing with like a whole lot of really, really talented people for, you know, very, very few, um, very, very few tenured academic jobs like vastly more people want those jobs than than can get them you know um and so like i don't know if people want to i don't know there are people it's almost like they want to like have success in this hyper competitive field but also really don't like the idea that they might have to work on sundays to achieve that but i don't know like it any other yeah. industry, like if you have a startup, for example, and you're trying to make it in Silicon Valley, you're probably going to be working on Sundays to try to make that happen. I, I think this is just, and then, I mean, people would say, but this is like the toxicity of uh, capitalism. Is it we just sort of uh, slaves on the neoliberal treadmill? Uh, and yes, yeah. this might I mean- be, this might be true, but given that like it doesn't seem like communist revolution is imminent in the United States um, and given the realities of academia, if you want to give honest advice to a grad student, I don't think you should be telling them like work-life balance is the the main thing. Well, I don't know if you want to like, but, but that's, that's an interesting thing too, because like you, you might see in your role as an advisor is like, well, I don't want to people, I don't want people to burn out and have anxiety and have depression. I want them to have uh, fun in grad school. I want them to be happy. I want them to be mentally healthy. Um, that's why I tell people to have work-life balance. Yeah. Uh, like even if, you know, even if their choice to have work-life balance might make them slightly less productive and that make them might, might make them slightly less competitive on the job. Well, I mean, I think like in the long-term you have to think, like you have to sort of balance the short-term and long-term. And if you are you know, overworked and that leads to all these mental health problems, mm. then you're not actually going to be competitive, right? Cause you're mm. going to break down. Like you're not going to be able to be productive if mm. you're, mm. you know, dealing with all this mental stress. And so like that, I think that that's where that's coming from is sort of like trying to treat mm. it. Like it's a, you know, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. You have to sort of pace yourself and and take it easy. But like, I think the the brutally honest advice is that some people are capable of working really hard, not taking many breaks and not mm. having a mental mm. breakdown. Like some right. people can be perfectly healthy and and functional and super productive. And those people are going to be the successful ones and like Yeah. And that's the, but that's ableist. Or at least this is a critique that I saw um, How is it able to acknowledge that there's mentally healthier or less well, healthy people? No, no. I guess I think the the point was like it's ableist to sort of joke about this, or it, it's ableist to um, even in a joking way, like act like this. This is a good system, or 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Because like, okay. When you, all right. So when you when you read his satire, right? So like, I read his satire, uh, and I clearly I clearly see it as satire. But I like at the same time, I don't think he is like. I, it's like gallows humor, right? Like it's like we're we're in this system, uh, and it sucks in a lot of ways, and it demands a lot of us. Uh, and this is just a way to sort of poke fun at it and smile. Like he's he's not he doesn't strike me as like an activist for yeah, changing. Yeah, he's just a joker. Yeah, academic culture, right? And so like this is and this I think is is kind of a problem people have with it, right? So I want to um, read. So this was one critique that I saw recently. So this is a researcher. I think she's a grad student. If I was a professor, I would simply not make a quote unquote parody account where I tweet awful takes at grad students that are indistinguishable from the real thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. So is it ableist in the sense that like people who are autistic or something are not going to be able to tell that it's satire? Um. I don't think so. I think I've seen that claim. I don't maybe. think so. But like, okay, so the critique would be, okay, he's he's satirizing and playing the part of this guy who writes 4,000 words every Sunday and can do that, right, without breaking down, you know, and can survive in that system. So it it's like this character that you're portraying is participating in an ableist system, right? Because like, as you said, not everybody has the ability to, to do that. Mm -hmm. So to, yeah, to play that character and treat it like it's a joke is, is insufficiently sensitive to people who can't survive in that system as it is, right? Like, so it, you shouldn't shouldn't make jokes about this because people, real people, are being excluded. Real people are being marginalized by this system because not everybody can work on Sundays without breaking down. With that, that seems like a still okay. kind of a steel man. I mean, it's still ridiculous, but I, I just feel like, like <laughs> you can criticize jokes for being offensive. Um, some jokes that like do you know can take things too far in like making fun of marginalized people or whatever but a joke about a system that like you know this person is embedded like tim gill is a professor in the mm. same system and like you mm. know has to deal with the same like stuff and it's just like it's not He's, he's not offending. He's not being offensive. If anything, the people who he's offending are the people who don't have a work-life balance because he's mocking them. He's making fun of like, like the people who, you know, read the 300 word book twice mm. and like are, you know, super eager or whatever. But he's, I don't think he would offend people like that in the slightest. No, he wouldn't offend would, them. Because like, like you said, they, they think it's true. They're like, they would just read it and go, well, yeah. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. No, I don't think that he would offend them. But like, if anything, like that's sort of how the, mm. the, the target, like, yeah. Like how is yeah. the target, the target of this 
is not the person who is trying to have work-life balance. Like he's trying to like be on their side, like mm-hmm. highlighting the ridiculousness mm-hmm. of academia's, uh, you know, impossible mm-hmm. standards. I think this person just like okay, doesn't so understand like, humor. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people are just getting offended on behalf of an imaginary person that may or may not exist. Right. So like they're sort of imagining there's a first year grad student, maybe from a marginalized background. Just adding that in for flavor. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And maybe they're struggling with disability. Although that's a marginalized part. Um, And they log on Twitter. Intersectionality. They log on Twitter and they see this and they experience anxiety and they, they think it's real. Uh, cause they've, they've never seen his tweets before. And I mean, this person probably doesn't exist, but I think like that, that's kind of who people were being offended on behalf of. Uh, and I okay. saw in that case, I, I mean, I don't think that they're being offended on behalf of them. They're being sort of like protective of them, protective, right? Like they're, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're worried that they're going to take it seriously and, and think mm-hmm. that this is what academia is actually like, but this is what academia is actually right, like. Right. Right. So so maybe that's the problem, right? He's in the in the in doing satire, there's an element of truth to his satire. And like a naive grad student might like even be, yeah, they might think it's not satire for one thing, or they might even just like recognize that it's satire, but also recognize that uh like there's an element of there's an element of truth to it, and that could harm them. Uh, by causing anxiety or causing them not to go pick blueberries. Yeah. I mean, I do think that there's, you know, there's a little bit of truth to that. I think uh, people who are just starting out don't really have a good sense of how much Mm. they should be working, what other people are doing, how to compare themselves. I'm going to shout out uh, Carlos, our new lab manager, who's taking a moral psychology class and did all the reading for the class and was like, did it, <laughs> finished all the reading like three days ago. And uh, I was like, Carlos, you're trying too hard. He should um, start a Twitter account. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, so I, I mean, you know, and I was like, when I was in my first year, um, before I started classing, classes, we had like these, uh, you know, like hangouts with people in the department, the upper grad students. And everyone was like, here's some advice for your classes. Don't read too much. Don't Mm. like take them too seriously. Focus on your research, Mm. like kind of skim, you know, you're going to be assigned more reading than anyone could possibly do. Mm. And that's for each of your classes. So just like skim the the stuff, whatever. So like, and I felt like some of that advice was necessary. Like I would have done more if Mm. people hadn't like told me that over and over again. Mm. Um, But all I can say is, you shouldn't get your information from a random Twitter account. <laughs> like, like people exist within a system of like support, right? Like you'd go into grad school, you have other grad students, you have your advisor, you have postdocs, like you're mm-hmm. not, hopefully you'll be getting real information from real people. And then you go onto Twitter and hopefully that'll teach you that this is a joke sort of. I'm pretty sure Smriti did all the readings for every grad seminar <laughs> she ever went to as well. So shout out, shout out Smriti. Um, yeah. 
And I think she was really annoyed that other people didn't do it. Like, I mean, I did do most of the readings. I just like Mm. was, you know, trying not to do, not to take copious notes on each one of them. Like, but yeah, no, I I kind of agree. Like with with Smriti's take on this, it's, it's annoying that you're, everyone's supposed to be there to talk about these ideas and like learn Mm. something. And then no one has read it and no one's prepared. And Mm. it's just kind of feels like a waste of time. Um, but yeah, like there's sort of like a balance that you have to strike and like, it's hard to find that. Um, yeah, I don't know. Did you do readings for classes? Uh, honestly, not really. Uh, no, I, if it was a topic I was really interested in, uh, I sometimes would, but, um, I'm quite a slow, slow reader. Like it takes me really quite a long time uh to get through an academic paper because i'm constantly getting sort of distracted and they'll mention some reference and i'll want to go check out that reference and, and stuff like that so um and also yeah i'm i don't think i'm lazy i was gonna say i'm lazy but i don't think i'm lazy but i i did probably even from the start of grad school like had this idea of like you know, i kind of want to focus on what i want to focus on here and i think like i mean grad seminars are an interesting thing because there's no like there's no accountability really for reading stuff um or not reading stuff and you really quickly realize that so when you when you have a seminar the next day and you can you've got other things you want to do and you have this choice whether to spend like three to four hours reading and preparing for this one seminar um and papers that you may never even think of again, right? Like, so it's not even like really your topic of interest and stuff like that. It's just very, very easy to make the choice of like, mm, no, nah, let me like, yeah, let me focus on this thing that's cl- closer to like, yeah. And, I who, mean, this is... and who's been successful? Who's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, you know, I could be a postdoc if I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Probably. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think like this is just highlighting an issue with how grad school is structured. Like, I feel like, I mean, this is grad school, but also everything in life. Like, there shouldn't be, you shouldn't be like supposed to do something and then there's mm. no incentive and no accountability. Mm. Um, this is, I have a like random tangent here. Yeah, yeah. When I was 15, I started going to school after I was being unschooled and my little siblings, my little sisters were not in school. And I was really upset about that. Cause I was like, they need to be in, like, they should be getting educated. So I went to the ministry of education. I like went to their office and I was like, I need to file a complaint against my mom. She's not sending my sisters to school. <laughs> And like, I was like, there's a law, there's, you know, there's a law, there's like, you, they need to be in school. And they were just like, yeah, there's a law, but like, we can't enforce that law. What do you want us to do? Like, we're not going (laughs) to come to your house every morning and pack them up and send them to school. (laughs) And then since (laughs) that's where it was like, yeah, like you should. Like, but there's steps in between. They could write a strongly worded letter to your mom. They did write a letter. She threw it out. (laughs) Okay, okay. We're dealing with a a uh, unstuff here. I forgot. Yeah, but anyway, the point is like, if there's no accountability, if there's Mm. no incentive, like it's just not going to happen if people don't want to do it. 
And what's the point of having grad classes where people are assigning the readings? Everyone knows that everyone knows that they're not doing the readings. Like it's like common knowledge, but it's like unspoken. And then you just come and kind of faff around for an hour and a half and nothing happens. Like this, this anyway. That's awesome. A lot of people actually, (laughs) yeah, I mean, a lot of people end up just sort of working on R on their laptop during these these seminars. Yeah. uh, yeah, they're just responding to emails. Yeah, that's a weird thing. Like the reality of a PhD program compared to sort of what outsiders think it is. Like it's no, yeah, it's not it's not super rigorous <laughs> or difficult. Yeah. So anyway, um, okay. Back to Tim Gill. So I actually invited him on the pod when he was starting to become like kind of famous, and I was like, you know, you can you can come on as your alter ego like you could sort of play into it and pretend to be this like blowhard guy or you could come on as yourself like we're open we're kind of open to that and he was like oh yeah maybe i just want to see how far this thing goes i'm just kind of having fun with it and i I sort of don't want to take the mask off like just yet um and yeah that was that was a while ago i mean i'd be yeah i'd be really interested to i'm sure if i just went to tennessee and told him i wanted to slam a beer with him um could catch up and talk about it but it's just i don't know it's fascinating how like i think most people like it like he it wouldn't still be going on if well i don't know outrage is what drives virality not like people liking things so yeah (laughs) like maybe people are just like so outraged about and they just like keep they keep counterproductively like growing his reach so there was this backlash, right? So like last week, um, people started to sort of tweet about how they don't like Tim Gill, right? So there was this one thread about how just just mute Tim Gill, never look back. And then a lot of people in the comments were like, yeah, so insufferable. Can't stand that guy. <laughs> like blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Like if you don't like Tim Gill, mute Tim Gill. Like it's very easy to mute people. To each their own, that, yeah. Like that's fine. Absolutely teach their own. I mean, I would argue that you don't have to, publicly advertise that you're muting Tim Gill, like, and that's kind of obnoxious behavior in a kind of a similar way, but whatever, that's fine. But there's also just like, there's also like social justice. Like, I, I feel like people are really trying to concoct an argument about privilege. Like you often see people like raise the fact that he's a white man, you know, engaging in this satire from like a place of a uh, place of power. But then, you know, like, positively i would say there's generally under all those comments a bunch of scholars of color who are just like no nah, he's funny like it's fine you know yeah. <laughs> so i really i really do think and so there was this little backlash against tim gill and people were sort of you know arguing that you know, he does this or he does that and um i saw this one thread where so this this one guy this kind of a random guy former academic had posted a photo of tim gill saying that he had a punchable face uh, and then Tim responded to it and, and like, he looked up this guy's rate, my professor reviews, and he found like the most negative one. And he's like, oh, you're, you're like encouraging violence against me, but your students say that you, they found you creepy. <laughs> <laughs> and he posts a screenshot of this and that starts this whole like back and forth between them. Cause then this guy found Tim Gill's rate, my professor reviews and like posted his most negative ones and stuff like that. And then I, I guess one of Tim, like one of Tim's supporters and followers, like logged into rate my professor and left this guy 
a negative review. And then so this guy posts that and says, look, his followers are coming after me. I haven't even taught for four years and I just got this negative review because uh, the negative review was very clearly referencing like this argument that this guy was having with Tim Gill. And then like another sort of like social justice oriented account posted about it and said like, oh, Tim is encouraging harassment against this minority scholar. Oh my and then, God. <laughs> and so like, but these are the kind of like, this is just the dynamics of Twitter and you just watch it. And he's just like, man, everybody, everybody just needs to relax. So there was this kind of backlash, but then I actually, if you look through the more recent tweets, most people, I would say, it seems to me the majority of people are just like, just chill out. Like, he's just joking. He's having fun. Like Twitter is such a, it's such a dour outrage filled place. Can't you just let this guy <laughs> joke around like can't people just yeah, relax and i think that is actually more sort of the consensus majority view that's my take like i haven't done that somebody's out there is doing a dissertation on him right now i'm sure like, <laughs> maybe i should switch to that <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, so anyway that would kind of be my position uh this is becoming the motto of the podcast but like people should just maybe touch grass um yeah let it's a good thing we Tim learned that joke. phrase. Let people that like the jokes like the jokes. If you don't like the jokes, mute the jokes. Uh, none of that's going to change the structure of academia. Uh, if some people enjoy it, some people seem to enjoy it, even, you know, marginalized people. So let us have, let us have a little bit of fun while yeah. we are slaves to this neoliberal like, nightmare that yeah. we've found ourselves in. And for every Tim Gill tweet about how you should be working hard on Sundays, there are hundreds of tweets from academics saying, "We, you know, remember to rest yeah, and right, relax." Right, right, and right. so I, uh, I'm not too concerned about newbies going on Twitter and thinking that this is uh, what they have to be doing. Not only that, if you do rest and relax on a Sunday, you can post about that on Twitter to like. It can be part of your self-care vast, routine. Vast acclaim. Like <laughs> academics constantly trying to advertise their how much they're taking uh, time for self-care and uh, looking for the approval of others for doing so. So yeah. yeah. Are you going to be working this weekend? Dude, probably not. Like, ah, man. Like, t- tell you what. Like, having a kid was a terrible decision for my academic career i'm i'm like i never work on weekends now it's very very my wife's staring at me, staring at me. <laughs> it was it's it was still a good decision to have Dude, Hugo. i would love i would love to get some work done on this weekend i have so much to do but it's probably not going to happen um because i've got a wife and a kid yeah and so the weekends are for the family now um who wow. I love dearly, and you know, when I when I'm on my deathbed, I will not regret spending weekends with them. Um, but you know, when you're on the academic job market and you see other postdocs with H indexes of twenty, uh, yeah, it's tough not to feel like uh, anxiety about your own productivity. And definitely, since since having a kid, my productivity's gone down. So. Um, yeah, that was a long answer, but yeah, no, probably not going to work this weekend. How about you? <laughs> uh, no, I probably not. Definitely not. I haven't, 
the only times that I work on the weekend is when I'm taking classes and then work mm-hmm. is just like, if I, you know, I'm doing readings for the class or homework. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I am not, I, I just don't care. Well, right. Like Tim that's Gil, not my goal. So Tim Gill would, would be horrified to get this be from disappointed. Us, I might go get some blueberries to, from the Tim with, with star. With star. Oh, okay, so let's okay. move on because there was a few other topics we wanted to touch on. Uh, we don't have that much more time. Um, can we talk about that safe faculty? Yeah, project? I, uh, yeah, I want to hear your thoughts on that. Oh man, okay, so <clears throat> the safe faculty project, uh, in its own words, it's a volunteer led by. It's volunteer-led by students and professionals that have experienced harassment, abuse, or misconduct within higher education. It aims to protect undergraduate and graduate students, paid and unpaid employees, and volunteer and funded researchers experiencing academic and workplace harassment, abuse, or misconduct with higher education. So I'm reading from their website. It's called the Safe Faculty Project. And essentially what it is is a resource where if you feel mistreated by academic faculty, and I think that just includes basically anybody who's a professor. I don't see any, thankfully, postdocs uh, on the <laughs> list or like grad students, even though in theory a grad student could mistreat RAs or you know students that they're TAing. Uh, that's definitely possible. Uh, so maybe we should start another, um, just not safe faculty, but safe academia project. But anyway, so essentially, if you feel you have a grudge you feel mistreated, um, you email them and you tell them um, who mistreated you and if you want what they did. And they basically just put it on this publicly shared spreadsheet. So, um, man, I find this really interesting. So let me go through a few of these reports. So, like, I'm just opening up this spreadsheet. I'm seeing the names of all these faculty. We'll provide a link um, in the show notes. Uh, And I'm reading what they have done according to their alleged victims. So uh, the first person on the spreadsheet, bullying his employees about their accents, culture, and gender, telling them to work in their free time. Sounds like Tim Gill. Creating unsupportive and hostile environment. So this is what this says. And the idea here, I guess, is that um, there is a lot of bullying. There is a lot of mistreatment in academia uh, and there's not much accountability, right? So people don't want to go public, um, I guess, because of the hierarchical structure of uh, academia. They, they don't want to publicly call out, um, you know, more powerful higher up academics, but we we want to warn potential grad students about toxic faculty. Uh, so this is this is a resources that's been cre- resource that's been created, where like a I guess a whisper network, um, but a public whisper network where we can just um, you know, and there's no real verification. But I, I I'm assuming that the people that created this would would probably say something like even if there's some false positives on here, um, there's also a lot of uh, true positives. And so even if somebody gets caught up in this and is accused of stuff that they didn't do, it's worth it 
to have these resources to warn potential grad students and potential collaborators away from the toxic uh, people in academia. Um, yeah, so I I thought I found it pretty pretty interesting. Um, I'm curious your thoughts though. Uh, you want me to go first? Okay. Um, yeah, I think that I I don't know. I'm uh, I haven't completely made up my mind about this, but I would generally lean towards um, approving of this project. Mm. Um, I think that people need to. I I I. What I would be concerned about is people taking this at face value and thinking like this is the absolute and only truth. Mm. Um, and so I'd encourage, you know, people who are looking at these reports and potentially using it to decide who to apply to uh, and where to go to school, like just to take it with a grain of salt, because, you know, there are going to be false positives. And I don't want people to be to have their careers ruined because there was some disagreement at some point and someone decided to just like ruin their career mm. but um i think the harm of like not knowing what the potential red flags are for mm. someone that you could be working with for five or six years and then you know starting a program and sort of getting like too deep into it to switch and you know there's like a lot of costs concerned with like grad school right like you moved somewhere and you get started. And like, if you find out a few months in that your advisor is a dick, then like you can't mm. like, you know, you can apply elsewhere and whatever, start over again, but it's like very costly, both professionally in terms mm. of time, money, like all that stuff. And it's like a, a bad experience. Right. Um, and like from my experience in uh, recruitment weekends where, you know, you sort of go to the schools when you're trying to decide where to apply or once you've applied, you sort of get invited for uh, to learn more about the program. Um, everyone only says positive things. Like you mm -hmm. try your best to sort of catch grad students when they're alone and ask them, okay, like mm -hmm. what's, what are they really like? Like what's the culture actually? But uh, people are just in there. I don't think it's necessarily like malicious, like they're trying to uh, disguise what's going on, but people are just like very um, reticent to like divulge yeah, things reason. that are negative. Yeah. I uh, mean, for good reason. Like if a grad student is asking you what you think of some powerful faculty member and you say something negative, that's a risk, right? Because this that person could come to your institution uh, they could get along really well with that faculty member and end up telling them that you said something negative, or they could have a fight with that faculty member and say, oh, well, this is what Rachel yeah. was talking about. I see, I see Rachel's <laughs> point now. And yeah, now, like, yeah. yeah, you've made a powerful enemy that can hurt your career. Yeah. And so I think, like, and I think that um, grad student, like, you're just sort of at the mercy of, your, your advisor with so many things like you don't have a lot of power over um mm. i mean i i'm fortunate like to have a lot of decision making power in my studies and whatever but mm. a lot of people don't and i couldn't imagine just like being stuck with someone who's mm. like just awful 
Mm. And like that could have been prevented by Mm. knowing a little bit more. And one last thing I'll say about this is like, this is, you know, a more like formalized like system than it would be if it was just people just like rumors, Mm. but you're not like that, that already exists, right? Like Mm. you're not going to prevent people from telling their friends that like their advisor is shitty and Mm. You know, so why should that information just be like a privilege to the people who happen to know the right people, right? It's sort mm-hmm. of like keeping it in this tight n- network where only if you know the right people, then you get the real like tea on you know who's who in in academia. Like, no, mm-hmm. that should be that everyone should know yeah. what's what. Okay, that's <laughs> my not so strong yeah. feelings about this. Yeah, it's interesting. So I kind of agree with the premise that the potential harm for a grad student having a toxic mentor, right, and not being warned, like, so they could have been warned, but then they weren't warned. The potential harm of that is much greater than the potential harm of somebody just having their reputation damaged by appearing on this thing, right? Because I think all these people, none of them are going to get fired just because they were on this, somebody anonymously like made an anonymous allegation and they're not going to get fired. They're probably still going to be able to recruit grad students because of how many people want you are generally applying to these schools. Right. So like the, the potential, yeah, the potential harms that this resource could avert um, potentially are, I I do think, are greater than the harms caused by false positives. Um, I think I have a different prior about the likelihood of these claims being valid than most people. Um I think most people, definitely the people who made this list, like there is zero qualification on this website. Like at no point, as far as I can see anyway, I'm reading just the about section, do they say these are unsubstantiated, unverified allegations made completely anonymously um, so we don't we don't vouch for the truth of them. They, they never say that at all. It's they all- do. I think they do say that. Really? Like I'm looking at their um sorry, let me yeah, like the first, if you go to view reports, the first thing they say is please note that the team's only involvement is providing a space. It doesn't control who submits reports, who the reports refer to, or the content. The project doesn't endorse, uh-huh. confirm, yeah, or yeah, deny okay. any of the budget. reports. Right. Yeah. Um yeah, I think they're being pretty to clear. Any of the reports? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Okay, I take it back. Maybe I'll edit that part out. I don't like, <laughs> oh my I don't god, like being, Paul! You can't keep like editing so, out. <laughs> so explicitly wrong about something. Uh, yeah, no, you're right. They do. They definitely do put a disclaimer on the form, just not in the about section above it. It's important to recognize that faculty and staff members are also people. Faculty and staff members are also entitled to mistakes. However, frequent and consistent reports over an extended period of time by multiple individuals in multiple settings may constitute a pattern of problematic behaviors. I mean, that's a weird thing to say because there's no indication on the spreadsheet about how frequent the allegation has 
how frequently the allegation has been made or by how many people or anything like that. I think each um, and uh, each entry on the spreadsheet is one person reporting one thing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So one person is put there twice. Um, yeah. I think they were just reported by two separate people. So, okay. so you can the evidence. Yeah. Right. 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 Okay. So here's my potentially unpopular opinion. Um, uh, if there, so I don't remember if I've said this on the podcast before, but basically like if there is sort of an allegation against a faculty member of like bullying, say, um, I, I think mo- the response of most people is to assume it's probably true. Right. Uh, so to assume that the low power person in the situation is telling the truth and that the high power person in the situation is lying. Like if there's a disagreement about what happened, um, I am not sure if that is a reliable heuristic uh, because like a, there's a lot more grad students than there are professors. Right. So like if, you know, like psychopathy is like 1% of the population uh, just, just on pure, like even if these things were randomly assigned, it would be more likely to have psychopaths among the grad student group than the professor group. Second, second thing, it's harder to become a professor than it is to become a grad student, right? So to become a professor, you have to not only get into grad school and be successful in grad school and then go through application process and all the vetting that is involved in that. Um, uh, Whereas to become a, a grad student, there's much less vetting, right? You can do well on the GRE, have one one good interview. Somebody says, okay, and 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 you're competing with much, far fewer people to become a grad student than you are competing to become a professor, right? So, in, I don't in think a lot that's of ways, true. is it? Well, maybe. Uh, I don't know. Like, I mean, the applicant pool. Like, I, I guess I'm just assuming that, like, even if the applicant pools are the same, right, the same size, there's a lot of people who've just being cut out of the applicant pools for professors um, that in theory you were competing against for that. Right. But it's like proportional. I mean, this is not a super important point, but there's fewer faculty positions. There's fewer people applying to faculty positions, but there's also fewer faculty positions. And so like, I think Mm -hmm. it might be proportional, like for each grad student position, there's maybe like a hundred applicants. And I think that's probably also true. Right. 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 But like, yeah yeah but there's a lot of i guess what i'm saying is there's a there's a lot of potential applicants being sort of cut out of the applicant pool prior to those applications being submitted right so like it's harder to become president than it is to become like local dog catcher right Mm -hmm. even if there's the same amount of candidates in each race just because like you've had to go through like a lot more vetting to get Whatever. <laughs> you've competed with more. I would argue you've competed with a lot more people if you're chosen as president, and what you've yeah. beaten out a lot more people than Isn't if you're just elected mayor, mayor of a small town in in Wisconsin. Sure, right. Um, so that that as well, like, lends you know so, you know some prior knowledge to like which one of these people is more likely like to be a sociopath. 
uh, and like lying. And okay, hang up a second. Destroy the other one. So you know about the data about how like there's higher rates of psychopathy among CEOs than in the general public. Mm-hmm. So I like the reason for that. Vaguely heard about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, the reason for that is because these positions kind of lend themselves to people who like power and are ruthless and don't care who they step on on their way to success. And I think some of that might apply to being mm-hmm. a faculty in academia. Possibly. Possibly. I mean, I, it depends how you think the academic system works. I mean, like if, if we take the Tim Gill view that it's all about like pushing out 4,000 words every Sunday, um, then yeah, maybe psychopathy helps. I don't, I don't know if psychopaths work harder than other people. I, I don't know in academia if there's that many situations where being ruthless uh, and having no emotions really helps you. Like, I don't think people really often scoop each other or do you, do you know what I mean? Like, how, like take me through the logistics of how being a psychopath <laughs> would help you like become a professor in your mind. Um, I mean, just I faking think, data, I guess like you could just fake well, data. And be, yeah, that's one thing. But I think just like the willingness to exploit other people because academia mm-hmm. is like a hierarchy and um, there's always kind of people below you and the extent to which you're willing to like, or, mm-hmm. you know, motive, whatever, like you're the kind of person who's going to give people all the grunt work and make them work mm-hmm. really hard and force mm-hmm. them to come in, you know, on the weekends and whatever, mm-hmm. like that, okay. you know, you're like increasing the productivity of the lab. And so then you become more successful as a result. Yeah, I could kind of see that. Um so, like, if you're a grad student, you might work your RAs a lot harder. Yeah. And if you're a postdoc, you might do the same, and that'll help you become a professor. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Like, RAs can quit pretty easily, like, if you're not nice to them. and you, Like, I, <laughs> I tend to think, like, my the, the most productive relationships I've had with RAs was when I, like, developed really strong relationships with them, put a lot of time into them, and, like, they saw the relationship as mutually beneficial. So they were like learning a lot of stuff that they wanted to learn and stuff like that. And that's when I got real productivity, like real help from RAs. Like the semester where I tried to just recruit 30 RAs and like send them out (laughs) with iPads, like actually what kind of worked, uh, but most of them weren't that into it and weren't that productive and stuff like that. So, yeah. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe like you, you're making some okay points anyway. My overall, my overall point is that if you tell me there's like a professor and a grad student, yeah, like arguing about something, the, how the professor treated the grad student and stuff like that, I just think I have a higher prior than most people that the grad student could be a psycho. Uh, whereas like, you know, like we've talked about often on this podcast, the, the really only acceptable view, it seems, in academia is that grad students are perfect beings uh, defenseless, innocent, naive, beautiful children who must be protected at all costs. <laughs> the minute they get an academic job, though, fuck them. Like now they're <laughs> now they're the bad guys. Um, just put them on this list. But I also just think, like for me, this list, right? Man, it would take a lot. Like, there's some people in academia I really don't like. Um, but it would take quite a lot for me to like put them on this list. 
you know, even if I thought, yeah, they, they could have treated that person better or like, yeah, that really wasn't cool. Um, but I don't know if every, everybody else would have as, 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 um, uh, as much reticence to do that as me. Like, I just kind of feel like, I guess like my, my own. Like I'm looking through what people have, uh, written. I haven't read it all like extensively, but Mm. most of it seems like pretty serious accusations. Like it's not just people saying, you know, this guy's, uh, works us too hard or whatever. Mm. Um, and so, you know, it's a lot of like sexual harassment and, um, bullying. And I mean, who knows how people are defining bullying, right? Yeah. It's very vague. But um, manipulative and emotionally damaging productivity tactics does not respect student boundaries. Case of screaming at student over field progress, belittling students to other students. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Stealing like, ideas from students, crossing lines between instructor and student. Interesting how many women are on there too, right? Like, yeah, I was kind of expecting it all to be old white dudes, but it's quite diverse. This list, <laughs> yeah. Kudos, kudos to you, academia. I had some friends in undergrad who I had friends in undergrad who were like RAs at the time at, yeah. in a female PI's lab in like chemistry or biology or something, and they were like talking about how abusive she is and like. Mm like she's like manipulative and like power hungry and like all these crazy things. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know if like, mm. I wonder, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say the sexist things, so I'm just going <laughs> to stop. <laughs> all right. Let me finish the thought for you. Like, this is like, you're wondering if women just mistreat other women. No, No. I was wondering if like the women who are successful in academia Ah, are more likely to be like, they have to be the not conscious. Yeah. They have to be mean. The mean ones. I mean, that squares with my experience of every successful woman I've ever met. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, just anecdotal evidence. No. Um, I don't know. I mean, they. I mean, like, isn't there, so they were isn't there like conflicting evidence that's like women are punished for trying to be assertive and and, yeah. and dominant, and then like. Yeah, they're punished by being put on a list about how abusive. <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, yeah. 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 Um, anyway, should edit this out. I don't know. No, this is this is great content. I just. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, part of me also just feels like, man, I am trying to become a professor, right? Like that's still. Are you still plan, doing that? Plan a. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to submit a couple of applications this cycle. Um, I'm trying to psych myself up to do it. Um, but man, I, I just, I really don't like the idea that someday I might just not get along with a student, grad student. I mean, God knows I don't get along with every single person that I ever meet. And then like, there's just all these resources to just 
accuse me of whatever. And like the minute you're on this list, yeah, nobody can verify it, but like, I mean, people are going to think it's true. Are they going to have a much higher like probability in their mind that it's true by virtue of you being, being on this list? Um, and I don't know, I guess, I guess like if I'm, if I really mean it, that I think that that harm is much less than the harm of people actually being victimized by truly abusive mentors, then I have to just say, well, yeah, okay. That's just, I mean, I think what we have to accept. I think it's likely like I would bet against people complaining against you. Um, unless you really are planning on being abusive. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't think people are, uh, you know, just anyone who you disagree, you disagree with or don't like, I mean, I have, you know, like everyone has some complaints about their advisors and, but like, mm. that's not, that doesn't constitute harassment or bullying. And I think, I don't know, I have faith in uh grad students ability to, um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see what happens. On the other hand, Florian Jaeger's on the list. Is he? Yeah. Yeah, right. I wonder who so said that. So we've in. already talked about uh Yeah, yeah. With Katie Hertz um, about how he's Well, there was also that Twitter thread, right? So I think I don't think this is associated with the Safe Faculty Project at all, but Katie Herzog, coincidentally, who wrote about Florian Yeager, she shared this really wild Twitter thread where there was this guy who I, I guess was a former academic or former grad student. Um, and just seemed like kind of manic and arranged and just started this thread, like all in caps saying, okay, it's time to hold. I forget what he said. Like, I think that it was something like, where was where, Cause I think somebody hmm. might've, I think I, might have interesting. I just now. clicked on. Yeah. But you can um, see it in the Slack where he sent it to me saying, yeah, grad yeah. students everywhere, if you've been abused, assaulted, or otherwise traumatized by a professor, admin, PI, department head, or other faculty, feel free to DM me and I will anonymously expose them on Twitter in as much detail as you like. Yeah. And then it just started this enormous thread where he's like tagging people and just listing like accusations that he's received sort of anonymously against these people. Um, and um yeah, it was like, as Katie pointed out, like Jason Stanley was on there. So this guy, like a lot of people, you know, don't like him. Um, so like, I guess I would strongly suspect it was somebody just like somebody who doesn't like Jason Stanley just DM this guy and got him put on this list. Um, but it's, uh, I don't know, like, so there was this media, shitty media men list that was put out. Uh, as part of the Me Too movement, where this journalist was like saying, I'm collecting sort of accusations against um, people in media, like men in media who've sexually harassed people. And she sort of published all these accusations and they were anonymous, but she put her name to this list. And that is like, in she's in court now for libel. So one of these people um, who was on this list and there was like allegations against him is basically suing for libel on the grounds that there's no, there's no evidence. Like it's, he's, he's claiming this is not true. You can't prove this. So you shouldn't be like public, like publicly making this accusation against me. And I think the court case has not been decided. She tried to get it thrown out of court, but lost that, lost that bid. 
and it's still to be decided, but he's suing her for like millions, millions of dollars. Um, based on this libel claim, um, I don't know the legal situation, but it certainly seems like if, if you're, if you're on that list, you can make a good argument that it really damaged your reputation and hurt you financially and hurt your career. And if there's no supporting evidence, um, to back up those allegations, it feels like maybe, maybe that's illegal. I don't know if it should be illegal or shouldn't be illegal. I think that's complex. Like, and it relates to what we've talked about, about the conflicting harms involved, but seems like it might be illegal it seems like this guy on twitter what he did could potentially be illegal as well i don't know yeah i'm not i don't know i mean yeah Yeah. i'm looking through uh his i don't know i think that specific tweet may have been deleted but there are a bunch of a a lot of the uh, the thread is still there yeah so i'll read one aim uh i'm not going to say the name this person is well known by students for her temper, public mood swings, and abusive language toward undergraduates, grad students, and junior faculty, even escalating as far as anti-Semitism, not to mention using PUI funds to conduct research at another wealthier location. So yeah, like these things are just being put out there. Um I think like I mean, I don't know about legality. I'm not here to talk mm-hmm. about that, but just like I think that uh the 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 fact that it's what am I saying? Like people can't shouldn't just rely on being in the know and like knowing the right people in order to hear this information. And we're mm. in the age of information. Like people are uh you know, <laughs> they're exposed to it's more. They should be able to to know things. And I think like really the responsibility should be on us to take it with a grain of salt and like acknowledge that this is one person's mm. take. It hasn't gone through a court or like, you know, it's, it hasn't been to mm. trial and like, mm. yeah, you should know that this is a thing that people are accusing this person of whether you take it seriously or not mm. is up to you. But like, I don't yeah. know. I think more information is always not always, but usually better. Usually better. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like, unless it's a complete false positive and the person's innocent, in which case there's more information well, is is leading people astray and, and potentially... Well, sure, yeah. I mean, but like... innocent person. Yeah, but I just think, like, if that's our fault for believing it and, like... Like, I mean, I don't know. I'm just talking about, like, how ideally society would work. Like, this Mm. isn't, you know, how Mm. it actually does. But, like, Mm. ideally, we would see someone complain about someone and register Mm. that as, like, okay, there's something that's Mm. worth looking into in more detail here. Mm. And then you look into it more and find out that it's not actually a real thing. And it's like, okay, well, Mm. you know, learn something. Mm. But, um, yeah, that's not, you know, I'm just being naive about this because people don't actually do that no no i mean much more likely is just like potential grads well i was actually gonna like make a bad joke about this which was just to sort of say well like the good news for faculty is that if anybody reads about you on this list and is dissuaded from joining your lab uh they probably weren't a great scientific thinker in the 
first place, and you really <laughs> probably dodged a bullet because they maybe weren't somebody you wanted in your lab in the first place. So there you go. Yeah, maybe I can just that can be my positive spin. Even if I end up on one of these lists, it's just like, hey, if somebody's going to uncritically accept that about me, I didn't want to work with them anyway. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't think there should be this, like, I feel like people make this sort of slippery slope argument or sort of, we're saying like, oh, you know, we can't, uh, we can't like touch women without their consent. So like, what's it going to be next? We can't like go on dates. We can't, you know, hit on people. We can't like compliment them. We, like, it's sort of like, you you're you're kind of doing the same thing you're like oh i can't you know i'm gonna be accused of uh of abusing someone just because they don't like me like i don't think there's any evidence of that i don't think you need to whatever hmm. i mean there's there's some evidence of, of people being accused of stuff that like yeah they didn't they didn't do or like weight of evidence suggests they didn't do i mean we we talked about florian yeah. Or in Jaeger, but there's more. There's been others for sure. Um, anyway, yeah, uh, but like, we should probably wrap this can't up. Can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, okay, I have, I have five minutes. Um, cool. So, what do you think about student debt cancellation? Yeah, thanks for asking. <laughs> This has been uh, on Twitter a lot in the past couple of days because of Biden's announcement on Wednesday. Um, turns out that I don't owe as much as I actually owe. So that's great. Uh, I think. Congrats. Yeah, because I'm a Pell Grant recipient. So I'm all for getting $20,000 of my $50,000 debt removed um, on a personal level. But on a yeah, on a more objective level, um, yeah, I don't necessarily think that it's the right decision. I think there's a lot of people who need help um, with their loans, but I don't know that this is the right way to do it. Not that I know what the right way is, but um, for one, like I think the like salary cap that was it was capped at like 150,000 or something 125 maybe for mm -hmm. an individual mm -hmm. and 250 for a couple mm -hmm. that's pretty high and like it seems to mm -hmm. be not to, you know it's not taking into account cost of living and so like i don't know if i if i were making 125,000 a year right now i'd be happy paying back my loans like i mean i would be happy about it but like i'd definitely be able to do it with zero financial consequences to me um so that's one thing and um yeah i just feel like you know people should be able to like kind of Not apply in brooklyn right exactly so like you know that makes a big difference um mm. but i feel like a system where people more demonstrate their actual need may have mm. been better but of course, that involves a lot of logistics and red tape bureaucracy that, you know, maybe the cost of that is just too inefficient and it's better to just give everybody mm -hmm. um, the relief. Mm -hmm. But um, 
Yeah. And like, I think it, uh, once you get through college and you graduate, your earning potential is higher. And so like, it's possible that people who are in greater financial need overall are the people who haven't gone to college. Um, they don't haven't taken out any debt, but maybe just giving them $20,000 would help them Mm. improve their lives drastically, uh, Mm. as opposed to, uh, forgiving the debt of people who do have a college graduate degree. Mm. Um, and then, so those are all my sort of thoughts on the policy itself. And then I just wanted to complain about people's reactions where instead of, you know, having nuanced views about what's the right way to help out people who are struggling, they just say, this isn't fair and Hmm. sort of like stomp their feet and, um, have a fit about the fact that they paid off their student loans And Mm. so why shouldn't other people need to Mm. pay off theirs? And it's like, I don't know. It's like so um, regressive in a sense. It's like, like, could you imagine your grandparents like having a fit about the fact that you have a washing machine because they had to not grandparents, but like whatever, because they had to like wash their clothes in the river or the bathtub or whatever. And like they had to scrub them by hand for hours. So like, how dare you have the convenience of like having a washing machine? But it's like, you know, like we can make progress in policies and in technology and whatever, and we can make people's lives better. And the fact that you had to go through something bad and someone else doesn't, isn't like because things have changed that's not like inherently unfair i don't know well i don't know i i feel like the people making those arguments like the arguments you made that this is not the most efficient way to help people that some people who really don't need the help are getting the help and some people who really do need the help aren't getting the help it's kind of implicit in those statements that this is this is not fair or like this is this is not a a policy, a well-targeted policy um, well, that's, you know, helping people in an optimal way. Well, I mean, the, the 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 comments that I'm complaining about are specifically ones who are saying, this is unfair because I paid mm. off my loans and you should have mm. to pay off yours. Like, mm. it's not, I feel like it's not really about whether mm. this is good or efficient, good for society or anything. Mm. It's just, I had to suffer mm. and so you should have to suffer. Or, but isn't it more like I, we made different choices. I chose to pay off my student loans. You did not. And this policy benefits you and it like benefits you in a pretty substantial way. And I get zero benefit. So why can't there be a, you know, just because I made different choices, why do I not deserve to be helped? Like, I mean, and then that, that does seem like the argument of like, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't you make a more targeted policy to, yeah. Like, I don't know. I get what you're saying, but I I don't think it's, yeah. I like, I I kind of understand where people are coming from. Like if you did graduate and bust your ass to pay off your student loans and we're like trying to be super responsible and get them paid off as soon as possible. So the interest didn't, um, the interest didn't uh, engulf you. I I can understand being annoyed that, you know, people who are less responsible just sort of get, get let off for <laughs> making different decisions. But I mean, I, I don't know. Or mostly I accept your point that it, it's, 
it's not a good argument, but I, I think it's like it's at least circling a good argument. Maybe. <laughs> it, yeah, maybe. Um, but okay, I, I gotta go. Have another meeting. All right, cool. Um, well, thanks for joining me. It's been a pleasure as always. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'll put this. I'll put this online, uh, and we'll see what happens. All right, great. I'm hoping Tim Gill listens. Yeah, let's hope so. Maybe we can get him to come on the pod at some point. Uh, he's probably busy writing his four thousand words a day. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, oh. All right, cool. All right, I'll talk to you soon. Have a good one.